Coming to you from the Lone Star State. You're now tuned in to the number one NBA and wrestling podcast on the planet. The Dallas Mavericks are NBA champions. This is Money in the Bank Shot. Your source for all things in the ring and on the court. Now, uh, let's get ready to rumble with your host, Brian Zillum. Welcome one and all. I appreciate your time and welcome to the program. Just to provide you some brief background on myself, uh, this podcast is a passion project that I've wanted to pursue for a very long time, and now we're here. Really excited. Now, what can you expect from the show as a listener? Per the intro, we're going to be talking my two favorite subjects. That would be the NBA and pro wrestling. The general format we're going to be having um, per show is one segment to discuss uh, the NBA and the other to discuss uh, pro wrestling. Now, for my basketball people, I'm going to have more Dallas Maverick-related guests on the program because I am from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and Dirk is the GOAT. Don't at me, bro. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. For our first ever segment, I have Zach Hayner, assistant editor of PW Torch for our wrestling segment. And for the second half of the podcast, I will be joined by a good friend of the show, editor-in-chief of the MavsMoneyBall.com, which is the SB Nation-related website, Kirk, to talk Dallas Mavericks. So sit back and enjoy well, Zach, let's go ahead and start off the conversation. Happy Friday. And how's it going so far? It's going great, man. Yeah, it's a, a nice, uh, beautiful day here. And I'm in the Midwest. So, you know, this, it's almost October. So this can turn on us at, at any minute and drop piles and piles of snow. So I'm going to enjoy the uh, 75 degree and sunny day and just have a happy Friday. And it's an absolute pleasure to, to join you on the show. So I'm, I'm excited to, I'm excited to chat. Thanks for having yeah, me. Absolutely. And not, no pressure at ours. So you are the first official segment and guest on the program. Oh gosh. Now, <laughs> now I'm sweating. Now I'm sweating. No, it, it's great. Congrats. Uh, congrats to you on, on, on launching. And uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, honored. I appreciate that. And I wanted to go ahead and ask you, so what got you into professional wrestling? Obviously you're with PW Torch. You're doing a lot of different content as far as maybe occasional writing, podcasting, like what you as a wrestling fan, because especially now as people are kind of getting back into wrestling due to the popularity with the AEW getting popular, WWE having its moments, the Indies breaking up, what brought you or drew you to wrestling directly? Did you, have you always been a fan or did you have that kind of period like everybody else, like myself, where you just had to take a break for a while? <laughs> no, man, I've been, I've always been a fan for a really long time. I'm, I'm a child of the, the attitude era. So it definitely, it definitely started there for the like 97, 98 time, Steve Austin, the rock, like that was kind of my entry point into wrestling, but that just was like the, the gateway drug, so to speak. Right. Like after enjoying that, then it's okay, head back. And so then from there, just really dove into like, the Hulkamania era and pretty much ate from the WWE, WWF bowl for a little bit when I was younger, but then, then got into all things WCW and then watched old NWA stuff and just continued on backwards. And so it just was, it was a ride that started when I was, gosh, probably for 11 or 12. And, and I, maybe it's rare, maybe it's not, but I have not had that gap of time where I stopped watching. I just, it's been a part of my life forever. I also had 
relationship with my you know grandfather that was rooted in pro wrestling too. He would tell stories about just watching Over in Ganya, Killer Kowalski, that that old wrestling from the fifties, and we bonded on on pro wrestling too, and so that kept the fandom going. And then and then once I started to get you know a little older, and then I tried to you know take it more seriously, and just and and wanted to do writing and podcasting, and I've got a you know radio broadcasting background that allows me to check that box, but also check the wrestling box too. So no, it's been a big part of my life for a long time and now obviously a significant fashion with with everything at the torch very cool now do you have a favorite match or matches that stick out to your head i know that's like a general question or do you have the mount rushmore of wrestlers so i i I go back to steve austin is i think the wrestler that was a most influential for me just becoming a fan but also you know looking at his career through a different lens now i i also just had i just i think he's just one of the most polished wrestling artists that that we've seen in terms of just connecting with an audience and manipulating a crowd audience and having that main event level star power and aura even when he wasn't in main events and then you layer on top of that the fact that that stone cold character was part of the culture at the time and ingrained in in what was happening you know, in, in society and in like real life society. And it's just, it's just, it's a beautiful picture and a beautiful character for that time. But I think it also expands across a bunch of different eras too. So I, I plan my flag in the Steve Austin camp in terms of that. Mount Rushmore though, Ric Flair, human qualities aside, just looking at the pro wrestler, Ric Flair to be sure, was certainly one of the, it's just one of the, one of the best in terms of having a long run at the top of the card with really, you know, tremendous matches with, with a multitude of different talents and different styles. Again, I want to make sure to emphasize uh, I'm talking wrestling skill only, and that's it, given everything that went down with the dark side of the ring and really other things too, but just talking from a wrestling perspective there. And from from there, man, it gets really tough (laughs) for me because I think there's a lot of Shawn Michaels, I think is is up there in terms of somebody that just from a match quality perspective, he doesn't necessarily have the 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 business or the boom of a business to lean on like Austin does or like Flair does. But just the body of work from an in-ring perspective, I think arguably puts him up there. And then I, it's hard not to put the rock of Hogan too. It's hard not to put those guys up at the tip top of the list just because of the, the impact they made on the business. So that I'll, I'll lean into those. And then the favorite match, boy, I, 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 it's hard for me not to say Austin Rock at WrestleMania 17. I think that right. for a multitude of reasons, one of my favorites. And it's not necessarily, it's not like the best like in-ring action packed match that you can find, obviously. If you want action and high flying and cool moves, like that's not, that's not going to be on the top of your list. But just the magnitude of it all, like the peak, the Attitude Era coming together, two biggest stars arguably that the industry's ever seen colliding head on both baby faces, big stadium, and just the crowd that was just ready to go for that match. And I thought they just told a, a heck of a story. And that is what I like the cool moves just as much as anybody, but I, I really like the storytelling part of, of, of a wrestling match too. And that, that had it and drove. So I'll go, I'll go Austin rocket WrestleMania 17. 
WrestleMania 17 still. At Wednesday, we had AEW Grand Slam. The opener, Brian Danforson, Kenny Omega. Did that deliver for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it did. And it did on multiple levels. And I think good TV wrestling match, especially in 2021, you have to deliver. If you're going to put something like that on television, but you can't, I think WWE has lost a lot of goodwill by main event level matches on television, but then not paying them off in a way lives up to the hype. And this did. It didn't in terms of, okay, here's a definitive finish. But this was 30 minutes of two guys like who are like dream opponents for one another, just going at it for 30 minutes. And I, I, I think such care and attention was paid to balancing the fact that, hey, we need to pay this off, so we have to have a heck of a match. But we also need to leave something in the tank because we want to do some business with this match in the future on pay-per-view. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to balance. You have to be a confident performer and able to be able to to do that and i thought uh danielson and omega really walked that line perfectly where looking back you have this five-star match out there that happened but at the same time you can look at that match and go i think they still have another gear or two that they can get to and that's to me that's like the brilliance of the match in addition to it just being good in the ring it's uh it, it it knew what not to give so that they can lean into that on, on pay-per-view. And, and look, in the end, AEW is a business and they need to draw numbers and they need to, to make money. And now they can go back to this match after it already being a five-star classic on television and have somewhere to go. And I, I, to me, that's what makes the match just more than just a wrestling match, but a good piece of pro wrestling business at the same time. As far as my experience, on just the match it flew by obviously first and foremost just very easy breezy watch mm -hmm. it was just uh, it was something i didn't ever want to end but you could definitely tell like you had mentioned there was definitely some there there, there was something left in the tank on purpose but just having them really just sit there for two minutes look at each other the fans go crazy and then that first time they lock up, that pop from the crowd was just tremendous. The venue, the surroundings on how they set up. Arthur Ashe was just absolutely wonderful. I really hope that they continue to use this venue as hopefully this is a stop on one of their big four venues, especially after everything I heard. Minus the issues trying to move around, obtain food or <laughs> merchandise. That sounded like a pain in the ass, but... Other than that, it sounds like everything else went off for a hit. Now, I am hearing a lot of woes from folks trying to travel back home, which is super unfortunate. I think that's just the travel lifestyle that we, that we live in right now, but just absolutely wonderful. Now, so many different ways, I guess you could really book this. Uh, I think it's an interesting talking point right now, Zach. Now, would you immediately book this for the full gear show? And I know there's this kind of cloud of where everybody's worried that AEW forgot the Hangman Page story. Like, where's Hangman? Like, when's he coming back? And I don't know what you do for full gear. Do you run this back for the title? Just have Danielson just maybe beat a couple guys and get up on the rankings, and then they announce three men for full gear? What do you think? Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. I think you try to capitalize on the momentum that the match built and, like, kind of the notoriety of it at this point. And... Uh, so I think you just go to it, and I think you think of the you think of the feud as a trilogy of matches that, with that third match coming a little bit later down the road, 
And I think you book it with the the story being, hey, yeah, okay, Brian Danielson certainly doesn't have like the volume of wins, but I think everybody knows what his resume is. Plus, he took the champ to a 30-minute draw. And so I think that's your story. And I think you can get around the rankings with that. And given that Omega is already about about publicly in what seems like a storyline way saying, hey, no, no rematch, not going to happen. Like I'm looking at the next six weeks or however many there are, like we'll see Brian try to, to, to get that match again. And then at that point, I actually keeping the Hangman Page storyline in mind, I, I just kind of you, you hold on that until maybe the revolution pay-per-view and and, and I think the that win means a heck of a lot, not a heck of a lot more, but I think there's just more notoriety for Kenny Omega if Omega has this program with Daniel Bryan. Omega beats Daniel Bryan is the first one to get a pinfall over over the other at full gear. And so that adds another layer of mystique and star power on top of Kenny Omega that Adam Page can then dethrone. So that's how I see this thing going. I, I don't think AEW is going to pivot away from from that Adam Page storyline. I think he's still the guy, even though there's just such an influx of top-tier talent in AEW right now, I still he's the guy that's pegged. That's the long-term story that's been told. I think just the way Tony Khan books and what we know he likes from a wrestling perspective, just as a fan, is rooted in that long-term storytelling. And I think that'll make for it'll make for a really big moment. And I think they just try to pad Omega with a Danielson win. That becomes one draw, one win for Omega. And they still have that trilogy match to go back to to go back to later on at some point in late 2022. That's my guess. But hey, I've been wrong before, so who knows? Yeah, and then with AEW, he, as we're learning with Tony Call, uh, Tony Khan's booking, he, he, we fantasy book something, and then we question, oh my god, why did we even try to fantasy book something? We could have not come up with something so good. So that's yeah. the thing. Now, something to keep in mind, I believe, with the transition of the full gear date, November thirteenth, I believe, is the new date for full gear, which I believe is slated for the Target Center. Now, the post pay per view show. That's the Norfolk, Virginia show. So maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know if you do it there. I don't know if you try how to push it off until the next pay-per-view, like you had said. But just a thought looking at, because I knew it was coming up. I didn't know if it was in the next couple of weeks. And it looks like it's that post-Dynamite show. So he's obviously popping up on that show. He has to be there. Whether that's yeah. or some type of title match or not, that's T- TBD. But we'll wait well, that. And that's, that. There's something to think about, though, honestly, because and look, I don't know. I don't know if you pull the trigger on TV for one thing, but regardless, no matter what, there is a long stretch of time but full gear and what typically is a late February pay-per-view. I think it was actually in early March this year in Revolution, that winter pay-per-view. And gosh, you got to wonder, can they keep can they keep pace sizzling until that pay-per-view? So maybe there is some kind of tv special they're debuting on tbs at the beginning of at the beginning of january who knows it's i don't think i think ultimately you do want to still save the big moments on pay-per-view because you want to cultivate an environment with fans where they know to see the big matches and the big moments and the big memories you gotta gotta pony up but at the same time those tv contracts man those are 
Those are important. And so uh, Tony Khan's going to have to balance that. But I, I still, as enticing as it would be to put this, put a big title change like that on Dynamite, even if it's in Paige's backyard, yeah, I, I still think you got to protect those pay-per-views and make sure that those are most important. So it, it'll be fun to see, man. I think this is like the business of the business rearing its head here where you've got now other talent it's just bigger than Adam Page at this point to to factor into things. And it'll be interesting to see how Tony Khan navigates that. But I, I think he sticks with Page on this one. They, they've invested a lot of time and energy into that story and it it's working. So I, I think he's I think we see that through at some before Kenny Omega gets beat. Now with the popularity of what's happened to wrestling, let's say, oh, I don't know, let the last six months, let's say. Mm-hmm. AEW has caused this the paradigm shift, John Moxley's uh, finishing move there on, I, I don't know what your experience has been, but it's been awesome to get random messages or texts from friends that are saying, hey, is this a CM Punk thing actually happening? Is he going to debut in Chicago? Hey, is Brian Danielson, the, uh, the American Dragon, actually coming to this promotion? Maybe I should take a peek and... I've gradually introduced the wife here and there. We've been to two shows down here in Austin. She's absolutely enjoyed herself. And believe it or not, so the last show that we went to was the coffin match with Darby Ah. Allen and uh, Paige. And she had an absolute blast of a time. And of course, she was a little disappointed that she didn't see her favorite Jungle Boy on the (laughs) main car course. Like all the ladies want Jungle Jack Barry. That's part of the deal when you're going to take a wife or a girlfriend to the show. They all, more, they all want Jungle Boy. But just, just the fact that you can take maybe someone that's not very interested or maybe got, not going to watch on the regular and have that great time is an amazing experience. And I will say the Austin show I went to, that show has, you know, I, I, let's say 5,000 people. But I've never been in a arena or facility with 5,000 people that loud and crazy. And I've spoken to the boys from the Top Rope Nation podcast, and they had said, of trans- transferring like the experience through television, they said that was one of the loudest crowds they've ever heard for an AEW event. And that, of course, this is obviously prior to All Out, the Grand Slam and everything like that. But just the environment that AEW is setting up, it's, just, it's wonderful. And as much as maybe the stands of WWE want to admit it or not, AEW is the babyface wrestling company that they're trying to accommodate and provide. Are they promotion? No, absolutely not. There's still things I think everybody would like to see different about maybe uh, AEW books or maybe the presentation. But just as far as wrestling, having someone consume like the wrestling product, AEW is, it seems like that's where everybody wants to go. And especially now when you're hearing quotes from, Da- Danielson, Adam Cole, Ruby Soho. WWE can't really throw money at people anymore. Money's not really an object. It, that That's not going to tie someone's, well, I guess, sway someone from, you know, I think money, everybody loves money. I, I think everybody would love to wrestle for $5 million a year, but especially with sure. da- WWE going this new route where they want to be a little bit more conservative on how they spend their money. It's just very interesting because now you're hearing quotes from Danielson having a lovely letter from the Player tr- Tribune saying how much he respected and loved Vince McMahon, and he still left. He still left. And then you're getting Adam Cole, 
he was working with like his heroes and he still left now whether those reports from uncle dave were true or not about the direction i don't know but i think it it speaks volume for these guys now i, I think obviously at, at to a point aw has to be careful on to whom they actually bring over but if they still practice what they preach as far as cycling folks in and out like adam page he's obviously getting a nice little break right now and congrats on his new kid in the world it's really cool what they're doing and i'm just having a blast of just being a fan of this product right now it's fun man no doubt it's for a lot of reasons they're not look they're not perfect but that's okay they're that no but no wrestling company is but the bottom line is they've got a fan base right now that's that's growing in size and still and continue to just salivate over the product that they're getting on a week-to-week basis. The question that Tony Khan's going to have to ask himself is, all right, how do we like how do we continue to grow? We're super serving this fan base. We know they're there. They're here. They've been here from the beginning. They're here. But we gotta. We want to grow. We want to get more eyes on the product. So what does that mean? Okay, it's Danielson. It's CM Punk. It's Adam Cole. And then you know he'll have to ask other questions later in order to grow that audience because it's as fun as it is WWE still in total viewership is outdrawing uh, dynamite significantly and ultimately that that doesn't really matter in terms of what we're talking about but what it tells me is there's still wrestling eyeballs out there for AEW to expose themselves to so they're not even necessarily at the ceiling yet and they're only just coming up on on two years you know in in, in national existence on TNT and so you, you factor all that in and plus a global pandemic on top of that where you write there's more they've run more dynamite shows with without fans or and or with limited fans than they have with with full arenas and they still were able to keep this momentum and so i think it speaks to tony khan and i think it speaks to the fan base and what tony khan has been able to tap into and it has been fun i've had similar conversations with fans like hey that is, is that still the same thing from, from 1998? <laughs> like uh, that and same thing with CM Punk. It's, there is a little bit of buzz here. And the, the question will be, can Tony Khan turn that buzz into regular AW customers? People that don't just chime in and jump in for the return of CM Punk, but watch him week in and week out. And then therefore, and then fall in love with Adam Page or... Darby Allen or, or whoever else. And so it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting time. And I think it's also a really important time for the company because you've got these new eyeballs and you've got to try to keep them. And so you don't want them to all be one and done. Okay. Let's check out Omega Danielson, but eh, I, yeah, didn't really like anything else on the show. So I'm not coming back. Like you've got a responsibility up and down the card to make sure that other talent, like the next kind of the next era of talent, the Darby Allens of the world, Jungle Boy, Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I put Adam Cole in that regard just because of his age. Adam Page, of course, like they have to be doing something significant because they're the ones that is going to have to carry the ball when Punk and Brian and Omega aren't those guys anymore. And so it's a really fascinating time. A, a very fun time to be covering this business. Yeah, and I think one additional timeline that could be really interesting because at some point, Omega's going to have to like take some time off. Like he, he's, I feel like he, right now, based on all the injuries he's having to deal with, the, and I don't think people are putting him over enough. He is not 100% right now at all. I would say 
maybe on a good day, it sounds like he's, ugh, I don't want to be doctor and then to speculate what he's feeling, but he, it, I think if he's 70%, that might be, that might be a kind percentage because he's having to do a lot of pre-work in the trainers to feel functional because yeah. he's banged up. He's banged up and he's probably going to need surgery. And I think that'll really be an interesting time frame as well because they won't have Omega. But then again, you've got this young stud and Adam Cole who's hasn't even, you know, hit his prime yet. So that, I think that's just, that'll be really interesting for AEW as far as just the promotion doing for going forward is, are they going to still be able to make stars if one of their biggest guys are not there? But let's wrap up, Zach, on a very lackluster Extreme Rules card for WWE this coming Sunday. Yeah. I, now, to be fair, they did have a UK tour, so I understand maybe their resource might be a little limited. Or you could say they're just bagging this in because they've got the Saudi show next month as well. But we have very underwhelming card to say that we believe as time of recording, there are five matches scheduled for the card right now. I think one, two, three, four. Yeah, I got I got five matches. Oh, let's see. No, one, three, four, five, six matches. I apologize. Wait, no, wait. Let's do some math there. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. Yeah, six. Okay, math is fun on the air. <laughs> but yeah, we've got six. We've got six matches and headlining. You'll have the the demon and Roman Reigns, which I think it'll be entertaining. But I think the, the fact that they dropped the Brock Lesnar tidbit, I think two weeks ago, the AEW beat Raw in the ratings conveniently. That kind of just, oh man, you just made that a lot less interesting. And Roman is quite good in these situations, so he'll do his best to make the match interesting. But that's a foregone conclusion. Got the SmackDown Women's Championship, Becky Lynch in Bel Air. Man, I'm just, I, I, I think they really went the wrong way. This one, really, I'm not in the direction they did this in. I, I, I see people making the case where Bel Air is a better chaser, but I, the presentation of this Becky Lynch is just not for me. I'm just not really feeling it. It seems forced, in my opinion, and. Bel Air seemed like a very just oh baby why for so soon in a silly way and then of course Bliss which ooh that that'll be fun and then got the United States Championship Triple Threat which is Jeff Hardy Sheamus Priest okay Priest is working pretty well there's Jeff Hardy in there and hopefully Sheamus can make it out of the match without busting his nose <laughs> I uh, doubt it though no my God uh, poor guy. And of course, you got the SmackDown Championship, Free Profits, uh, Montez Ford will do something crazy. And then you've got Liv Morgan and Carmel, which I hope they're not thrown on the pre-show, which I sneaking suspicion they probably will be. But yeah, pretty. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think this is, this to me feels like a handful of the last couple uh, non, you know, SummerSlam, WrestleMania pay-per-view build where it's like the builds have all been lackluster but when you look up and down the card i think there's a good chance that all six matches can deliver from a match perspective come sunday night and and unfortunately it's just man if you just give these feuds and these programs better builds i think you've got talent that can pay them off but the builds i think are just all over the place in regards to roman and Penn and the demon finn ballard i'm with you on that they had something at least intriguing going into that with 
the demon being unbeaten to this point, going against Roman Reigns for the universal title. Like, I think that had some intrigue. Even if you thought in the back of your head, hey, <laughs> Roman's definitely winning here. It, it, there's, it's different having that in the back of your head and having a match with Brock Lesnar already scheduled afterwards in in a, on, on the Saudi Arabia show. Like, I think that just ruins that that intrigue significantly. And yes, I think it's going to be a good match, but I think you know the outcome already. I'm a little higher on on the Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch thing that, than you. I was very concerned coming out of SummerSlam thinking like, wait a minute. Okay, you spent all year so far building up Bianca Belair. And you, not only do you sacrifice that, but you sacrifice the return of Becky Lynch, something that people have been waiting over a year for, but reintroducing her in this heelish way that seemed misguided to me. And it may still very well turn out to be that way. However, I do think that Bianca Belair, with kind of by going up against Becky, who's such a strong talker and a strong personality, she's, I think she's shed some of the, the, the gimmick crutches that I think she had, like leaning into the, the EST stuff and, Instead, is just out there being a star who's confident and who's, hey, look, yeah, you beat me, but you, you, you could only beat me when basically my back was turned and you sucker punched me. And now you're ducking me because you, you can't win unless you fight me that way. And I think that coupled with Becky's, for whatever reason, her dedication to being a heel, I think the seeds are planted for it to potentially work. Becky Lynch is getting some booze, the overseas on one of the on one of the podcasts I did with the torch this week, we got a uh, an on site report from somebody in those buildings and on those shows that said, "Hey, like Becky was super over as a star, and the crowd popped when she first came out. But by the end of the match, like she had him or they had him fully on on Bianca Belair's side. So I think that's a good sign. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it plays out. That's the match I'm most you know intrigued to watch um, on Sunday, just because I want to just see if they can pull it off." Can Becky really turn that audience and, and can Bianca Belair shine with the spotlight on her as a baby face? I'm excited for that one. And then, yeah, the rest of the cards just there, man. I think the matches can be, will be good, but it's just, it doesn't have a lot of juice behind it in terms of from a build perspective. And I just think WWE wants to correct that and tell better stories, more effective stories that people care about so that these matches really matter. You think they're going to do Big E a disservice by not having him on the card? I, I just feel like there's an opportunity there where you could easily throw him and Bobby on there unless they're going to put the... It is, you can't even put them on the Saudi show because it sounds like they're trying to do Bobby and Goldberg. I, I guess you could do some triple threat big man, but I don't know if I want big bald Bill in there with a triple threat for yeah. more than five minutes, you know what I mean? So... I, I would have loved totally. Big E on card. Like I just I don't get that. And there's not you don't even really need a lot of substance there. Bobby Lasby is pissed because he, Big E had to cash cash it in when he was injured and just had a match. Like that, that's easy stuff. I I just there's opportunities there where they don't really have to try that hard where you can add a little something on there. And I just potentially maybe in the next couple hours they announce uh, just. To, this just in, Big E and Bobby Lashley for the title, but I don't yeah. or see having a big meaty triple threat match at Saudi. They could easily do that. Uh, with that, I just, I, I feel like there's a there. I, me too. I'm shocked that they haven't announced that. I, I thought that was coming for sure. I think you're right. I think there could be 
<laughs> uh, 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 WWE social media tweet any minute here announcing that because it just makes good sense to, to to do that. But so far, no. And that does hurt Big E a little bit. He is a new champion, and if you want to establish him as a player, and so to not have him on that first his first pay-per-view as champion, I guess uh, on one hand, it's one of those things where, look, if you don't have anything for him, it's better to just not have him on the show after the space the heart grow fonder and then prepare for something after the show. There's certainly an argument there. But to me, it's the better argument is, hey, he's WWE champion. Make sure you have something for the WWE champion on paper. Like, that's your job. And uh, and they don't have that right now. And, yep, it could be coming. Real quick on the, the Saudi Arabia thing, man, I I think it's a travesty that, that Lesnar versus Reigns is happening on that show, given how well done that thing has been built up. I think that show and the series of shows just has such a bad taste in so many fans' mouths where it's just not going to have the significance that it would on a regular on a regular cadenced WWE pay-per-view. I'm sure it's not the last one. I'm sure they'll run it back at some point. But, man, yeah, the first time for them to lock horns after the work that's been put in to build intrigue for it, which I think has been just great work across the board from Brock to, to Reigns to Heyman, right? Like, it's been really well done, and the playoffs just happening in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, just to finish off what you were saying, your thoughts on that, Zach, I'm, I agree. I, like, I agree with you. I feel like they've actually done a really good job on building this tease. I was not a fan of Babyface Brock. They've really done a good job as far as intertwining the human character with Reigns and Brock and just the fact that this is going to be a 9 or 10 o'clock a.m. showing in America. It's just like, what a shame. And I don't know about you, but I, I get an inkling. This could be potentially a Paul Heyman special. And for those who don't know what a Paul Heyman special is, that's the uh, one, the five-minute squash. I would not be uh, shocked at all if Brock wins in the squash because Reigns could easily win the belt back in the following month. You know what I mean? That's just it's what they do with their booking, but I would not, because especially they want this shock moment in Saudi Arabia. And I believe, I feel like in every show, there's been like a shock title change. If you think about Bray, Bray Wyatt, Goldberg, there's yeah, always yeah. been those there. Yeah, there has been. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him either. I, I think obviously they, they like Roman, but I wouldn't put it past him because if Saudi Arabia wants a title change, some it's just it's one of the it's one of those things it's like you can't even really look at it from just a booking perspective because you can't it's hard to factor in like what master vince is trying to serve right it's uh i hope they don't do that because i think there's just a lot of money left in reigns in his title run but we'll see soon enough man and zach i can't thank you enough for your time especially on uh friday and in the weekend i hope you enjoy rampage tonight and then obviously extreme rolls on sunday but how can we everyone support you and your work? Yeah, dude, thanks so much for having me, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be the, the first guest here and, and wish the wish you all the success moving forward. And hopefully we can do it again soon. And if you want to, you know, check out more of my work, pwtorch.com is the place to go. I have you know, regular editorial columns up on the page. My thoughts on all the big shows, news, you can go VIP at PWTorch, uh, pwtorch.com slash go VIP to hear my weekly VIP audio show. It's called On the Canvas and kind of uh, looks at looks at the art of wrestling. 
taking a, a current event based topic and, and breaking down the art of it. So we do that um, on a weekly basis. Usually that show drops for VIP members on, on Friday or Saturday, depending on uh, depending on, on how things go for the week. PWTorch.com slash go VIP to check that out. And yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Torch. Z-H-E-Y-D-O-R-N, Torch. All right, let's go ahead and pause real quick for just a brief break. And when we get back, we'll be back with uh, Editor-in-Chief of MavsMoneyBall.com, Kirk Henderson, to talk Dallas Mavericks. Kirk, I believe it's actually been four years since we've actually gotten to know each other. First conversation, one of the first conversations I had between Glenn's uh, first off, well, I get uh, the year draft. Yep. I can't believe it's already been four years. <laughs> It does move sometimes. Doesn't it? And I don't think I've ever asked you this question. We're, we're in the same age because uh, you're, what, 35, 36? 37. 37. Jesus. Okay. I'm hitting that big three, five next year. So we are kindred 30-year-old students, my friend. What got you to actually be a fan of the maps? Because both of us obviously are from the same, actually, metroplex of Dallas. But what dream to the maps exactly? So I moved to the region in 96, um, and my brother was like a star high school basketball player where we had moved from in Kansas city. He's like four inches taller than me and left-handed and just extremely good at basketball. So like I'd always kind of grew up around basketball and it was the sort of thing where you come to Dallas and in the nineties is right after Aikman had retired as like the Quincy Carter error of of dallas cowboys fandom so you know they're like the sports scene and i was just entering middle school the sports scene like wasn't particularly good for dallas in the 90s um i had had like the the jason kid jim jackson uh juan howard to like stuff around because like they were just they're like a popular youth like like they were like the up-and-coming team that never was actually up and coming it's pretty pretty incredible in retrospect and i don't really remember when i i i became like a full-throated like Mavs fan. I do remember, and this will probably stick with me till the day I die. Um, the the first playoff series that the Mavericks won, where they were down 0-2 to the Jazz. Ah, uh, yeah. I remember where I was in I remember where I was every single game. And I remember where I was standing in my parents' living room when our our man Calvin Booth hit the ridiculous kind of turnaround after getting a pass from Michael Finley, where Michael Finley traveled so bad. I watched it again there, day. I'm like, I don't understand how this thing wasn't called. He does like a four-step shuffle. It's preposterous. But I remember that, and like that was really where um, I had been absolute. Like that's kind of like the defining early memory for me. I was in high school at this point, and I know I watched more Mavs stuff because I remember all the Carl Malone uh, talking trash on Dirk, you know, base calling him soft, like just some of the real great, like late nineties stuff that, that went on there. So those are the things that really stand out early. Um, and then I don't really think I became like super hardcore till right after college when I had nothing to do. Um, and I was just like watching bad stuff all the time. Yeah. I would highly recommend those young youths. Uh, I've gotten, uh, Maz Moneyball staff writer, Lauren Gunn, to go back and watch that. We went down that rubble. Yeah, she was zero years old then. So. Yes, exactly. So yeah. I think there's so many of these young Maz fans that don't understand the greatness of Calvin Booth and what he did for folks like us at that time. Because like you said, the DFW scene, you know, sports-wise, yes, the Stars did win, uh, you know, the Cup in 99. 
the Rangers were competitive, but then they'd always get spanked by the Yankees uh, once they actually made it to the playoffs. So it was kind of like this lull. And I, I don't know. I think for me, the Mavericks were just so bad and nobody ever wanted to talk about the Mavericks. I, I think that's what one thing that drew me to them, other than just really enjoying basketball, Michael Jordan, blah, blah, blah. But other than like you saw yourself, remember where you are in every uh, game of that uh, Utah series, I always remember those really bad Maverick teams where they'd win 12 games. And I remember vividly asking my father every day, just asking him, hey, dad, do you think the Mavs have a chance this uh, this game? And he'd be like, I don't think so, son. I don't think so. I mean, I it, it's kind of hard to contextualize for anybody under the age of 25 that it was like them and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were the two worst professional sports franchises of the 90s. Yes. And they were so bad. And they, and, and they couldn't even fail properly because you know, <laughs> they ended up there in the Shaquille O'Neal draft. They were the worst record by far. And it just the lottery didn't work out for them. Um, it, it was it's it's kind of amazing looking back that they were that inept for as long as they were, because if you really go back in their history and, and you and I aren't even really old enough for this, but the, the in 1980s Mavericks were good almost immediately. Uh, oh yes, the the Stepien rule, which is the the rule that doesn't allow teams to trade multiple draft picks, was invented specifically specifically because the Mavericks fleeced Cleveland like three times in a row. Like all of their great, like they kept getting great picks from Cleveland. Um, which which makes me wonder if it's like now, like thirty years later, if we're kind of dealing with like the lack of trade karma, um, because they just took everything from the Cavs for years and years and years. And so right up until uh, they lost, it was like 1988, I think, Game 7 they uh, against the Lakers and Magic Johnson's Lakers, they were an unbelievable team. And then after that that series, they just fell apart. And and it took a solid, it took until the drafting of Dirk in 98 for them to really get off on a good track again. Yeah, I was going to say, I believe it was 98. I, I think that was the last... Yeah, it was the last year of Jordan on the Bulls. The Mavericks, that really bad. That was the crazy Cedric Savalas shot. I don't know if you recall that one or not. That always is in my head as like awesome because I was just so thrilled that my horrible, horrible, disgusting Mavs, he beat Jordan in the Bulls. Well, there's some crazy video out of one of like the former team president um, doing like a, a, a free agent pitch to, few, uh, to uh, not free agent, a season ticket holder pitch like breaking down that game it's somewhere on youtube um i i might have to i'll, I'll send it to you if i find it because bobby bobby corrala the mavericks showed it one time it's like three or four years ago but it stuck in my head because it was just such a wild like they were so bad and then they beat they beat the bulls during one of their defining like like one of the 10 times the bulls lost in their 72 and 10 season the mavericks beat them like yeah. it's it's pretty funny oh and i think that that Mavs team won like I don't, I don't know the record off the top of my head but if they won more than 20 games i'd be shocked mm-hmm but re- really cool moment in my head. But just in terms of just Mavericks team as we currently stand, I, I know we've had some weird off seasons, but has this been the weirdest off season in Mavericks history? It has to be, right? Just I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, the, there's like the co- the coach turnover. There's the uh, you know obviously the Tim Cato article, but it, it's just I don't know. It's been a weird, weird might not be the best word, but it's definitely been. A roller coaster for sure. Woo, hello. My bad. Just hope that audio didn't come through. I clicked on a YouTube page and started blaring immediately. <laughs> um, it's it's funny because if you look at what happened in the NBA this week with 
the Wolves having to dismiss Gerson Rosas um, with the Golden State Warriors doing whatever they're doing where their owner's getting fired, fined for tampering, even though he's basically saying, I don't want Ben Simmons. Then you look at like the New Orleans stuff got buried where their GM was just, uh, he's just not being like David Griffin's not being very effective. And then all the Sixers drama. If you were to have time for the Mavericks to have weirdness, they had it at the right point in the process. They had it almost immediately into the off season. So then they could make their coaching changes, their sort of boring free agency, and then they can roll into the season with, you know, potentially something to prove because they're, they're in the mid pack of, of West teams. And so I, I don't know if it was the weirdest off season ever, the weirdest off season ever will forever be the DeAndre. Cause like, like that DeAndre Jordan incident dominated like basketball and social media for a full day. And I sat at my, I remember where I was sitting at my old kitchen table for like 11 straight hours, refreshing Twitter, it's refreshing like, really. like there was nothing like that this year. It was all just kind of like, and the more it came out, the more it felt like we, because, you know, the, the Mavericks were able to keep so much in-house and a lot of Dallas media just doesn't want to do reporting for whatever reason. We didn't know how bad things had gotten and bad might be a strong word, but it was time for changes. I think now, whether we like the changes is sort of a different discussion. Um, but it, it's, it's, def- it was definitely time for something new. Like the Mavericks had if they're not going to change a roster, which they haven't done since 2019, really, then they needed to change the coaching staff. And I, I, I'm, I'm not super thrilled that they did the coaching staff, but I was very ready for Donnie Nelson to move on. Yeah. And then with all these, I guess, like new bits of information that kind of gradually have been blundering out here and there, whether it be daily or weekly, I, I, we've had conversations before and that was really hard on Donnie Nelson uh, during your Spotify reviews. So it was really hard because I just assumed it was all him, but with Tim Art on uh, Tim Cato uh, providing all the uh, information within its article, it, there was obviously a lot going on. But he swears it wasn't Donnie, and I've worked with him for years. And because I'm not a reporter, I, I feel no willingness to protect sourcing or anything like that. I can tell when Tim's lying, just knowing him, he is not lying. Like Donnie Nelson was not a source, and so it's like this. This had grown to the point within their organization to where. It was like the unspoken secret of like parents getting a divorce, but not having told their children yet. Yeah. And then obviously you add the addition of Pharrell Bob, not to be outdone by uh, the Timberwolves. They, the Mavericks decided to say yesterday they finally parted ways, which has been really weird anyway, because he was not under contract. And there's just been this weird cloud with that as well. And especially with him still there with the hiring of Nico and then having Finley as an assistant. It's just. Weird, messy stuff. And I think that's really what frustrates me as a fan of this scene the most because this is very Dallas Cowboy type shit. And it drives me bananas because especially with all the comments that we've had from Cuban over the office, that's stuff Jerry Jones does. And yeah, Cuban, Cuban with his, you know, you know, statements as he, as you may, he's relatively been not, I guess, that public on making statements like that. And I know a lot of people are trying to be, you know, defenders of everything he says, but it's just like, Mark, it's okay just to be quiet. Yeah, it's okay. If you don't have, you don't have to respond to Tim Tim Cato's article. I'm pretty sure that, you know, those athletic guys operate off of subscriptions. Like that's part of their contracts. They have to build in subscriptions. Mark basically paid, like helped pay for Tim's salary that day by like amplifying everybody wanted to read. It's like, what are you doing? 
I don't know. It, I'm glad it happened when it did because it allowed us sort of process. Like, could you imagine had things stayed buttoned up and tight and then, you know, they release her all about now. And then a story about her all drops where it's like, he had been a part of kind of the confusing, like the brain trust that didn't actually have a figurehead. And if we're dealing with drama a week before training camp, uh, well, Carlisle would still be coached. Then, you know, what? decides I'm just going to walk away now. I'm going to go be, you know, an ESPN guy for a year. Like he did the last time he was let go from a coaching job. Like that'd be terrible to be dealing with right now. So if anything, like they got, you know, they, they took their medicine early and then they were here and I'm okay with, with where we are, because now it allows us to, to sort of talk about the, the actual, you know, upcoming product on the court. Yeah. And that's a excellent segue, Kirk. Now, as far as just what product to expect on the court, I am finding it very hard to will myself to be excited about at least the regular season on this team, because relatively, like you had mentioned earlier, we wanted to, the Mavericks wanted to make a change either to the roster or front office. And they chose front offers and coaching. And we have pretty much the same players like we've had since 2019. We had Reggie Bullock, yeah, Sterling Brown, the signing of No Kino, which was still, I'm still trying to process that as well. Uh, Moses Brown, you have people like that. But I don't really see anything different relatively in this roster to be relatively excited about. I know people uh, uh, yelled at me and said, oh, what do you, yeah, Luca, that's all you need. Well, it's like, but the thing is, what people don't understand, yes, we are swallowed right in the have Luca, but there should be some type of progression. This is year four where we should right. be expecting nothing but a second round at minimum. And the Clippers expose this team. Now, a lot of this, we'll talk about Porzingis here in a little bit, but I'm not, it's fine. I'm finding it very hard to be really excited about this team. I used to have like Dalton Trigg type hype level with teams that had Chris Kamen, Elton Brand. Yeah. I used to find like I, I I don't want to force will like my excitement on this team, but it's very hard for me. Maybe I'm just old now, Kirk. I don't no, know. No, no, because it's it's you know, the Mavs media machine even gets to me sometimes. And by that I mean literally the Dallas Mavericks. They're very good at self-promotion and they always have been. And plus we're fans, so you want to look for the bright side of things. But you're not alone in this because my my co co-host and co-editor Josh Bow is kind of the same way. He's like, let's just fast forward to April. I'm really looking forward to to the regular season one because it's always fun to see what players are able to add things and every you know we were on year four of Luca and it's like well what's he going to add this year is he able to add anything like the sheer volume of dumb uh, I almost cursed the sheer volume of people out there who don't think that he can improve like don't seem to understand how much of a just absolute he, he's he's uh he's a prodigy is what he is and he gets better kind of by not even um we don't see it because he's not this kind of guy but he's work he's got to be working all the time i mean the thing that 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 really separated him going back from before his rookie year to where he played with the mavericks with with Dennis smith jr is his handle wasn't great at real madrid it just wasn't his left hand was weak his very right hand dominant uh he has one of the best handles in the league right now and he had and it really improved coming into his rookie year. So looking forward to seeing. And then last year, he just got, you know, he just got, he, he went from shooting in the high 30s in the mid-range to shooting Dirk Nowitzki levels of mid-range. Like, we don't talk about that enough. It was preposterous, partially because he couldn't get past anyone. And and it was that kind of stood out more because he was just really kind of slow all season. But he was unbelievable from the mid-range, just a, just a, uh, a sniper. Um, so I'm really curious to see what he can do this year. 
Um, you know, we'll probably talk about Porzingis a little bit more, but seeing if what sort of, you know, getting him on a normal NBA schedule two years after some surgeries, what does that do for him? I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And then, you know, there's the, the small, but I think fairly important, you know, adding Reggie Bullock into the lineup. If, if him and Tim Hardaway play at the same time, the Mavericks are going to score like 130 points a game. Uh, Bullock's numbers indicate a guy who is willing to gun and talking with uh, this this guy who runs posting and toasting, uh, Joe Flynn, he told me that that Reggie's not afraid of the big shot. Uh, and you replace Richardson with him, and you have another guy. Like, Richardson's shot was just so slow, and he only shot, like, four threes a game. Bullock's going to shoot, like, eight threes a game. That, over the course of the season, really changes the Mavericks' offensive numbers. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, because despite the fact that we love watching Luka, their offense was just below great. It was kind of just average last year. Now, whether that can withstand the the force of head coach Jason Kidd, who is by all accounts a very poor offensive coach, just going back to all his years, how those two things run into each other is going to be worth watching. So I, I am looking forward to the regular season. I will say this about your point about the playoffs. The Clippers exposed some stuff, and I don't think the Mavericks addressed any of those holes. No. However... Is there another team out there in the West that can expose those holes? I'm not seeing it. Uh, the Lakers are going to be quite a challenge for Porzingis and Anthony Davis, but that's a different hole. Um, no one else has two six foot seven all defensive defenders that can deal with Luka, and he still put up 33, like nine and eight over 13 playoff games against the Clippers. So I think there's reason for optimism, is, is my soliloquy. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. Uh, it's always good to at least spin it in a positive note. I mean, uh, I know everybody has this reputation of like, oh man, uh, Kirk Henderson, he's such a grump. And it's like, no, I'm a grump on Twitter in games. Like I'm terrible to watch games with. I like, I need to sit by myself. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm the same. Generally, I have to sit upstairs and then the, my wife's always like, why are you yelling at the TV? I'm just like, did you see what Luca just did? Or like Tim Hardaway or, you know, whoever. And then I, you know, it's a whole thing though. I, I can completely relate there, but just as far as I'm more of a concern for you, I, I'm interested to see where you're at. I know you recently just dropped your uh, Porzingis article, um, which I'm sure you're going to get a lot of praise for. Wasn't bad. I mean, I was, I was, I thought I straddled the line there pretty well, all things yeah, considered. Yeah, no, I, I, it, very, very even, very even. So I, I thought it was really well written. So I, I appreciate you at least having the cur- hashtag courage to post something like that. But, What's a bigger concern for you on this team? Is it Kidd or Porzingis? Because I had to really think about it, and God, I think it might be Porzingis for me. I think it's Kidd in the short term, Porzingis in the long term. Because we're going to see whether Kidd works pretty quickly. Um, if he changes how they play on offense or something, I'm going to be very concerned. If he gets into arguments and treats players the way he treated at other, uh, at other head coaching stops, I'm going to be very concerned. Um, but... Long term, it just has to be Porzingis. His health is not his fault. Uh, I think he plays through a lot of pain and discomfort, but also doesn't trust his body. So it's it's really difficult. Um, you know, Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe had a little bit of a dispute on their podcast a couple of days ago where uh, Simmons said he's like, I think Porzingis has a lot of trade value. And Lowe's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they They basically refined it to if Porzingis looks even remotely good, there's going to be a lot of trade chatter around him. And I think so too, but it's, it's so difficult because all the numbers show that when those two play together, they win, they win and at a, at a much higher than normal clip. So if, if Porzingis looks okay, if he is willing to accept any sort of 
he want he always wants to do more on offense, but it's just like someone's got to explain it. Like that time's past, man. Yeah. Like I want to do more on offense when I go play basketball. I can't do it. Don't do it anymore. Just do what you're good at and and contribute to the team's success. It's okay to not be a superstar, even if he's getting paid like one. So long as he can contribute in a positive manner, which he does, then I, I look forward to what he can bring. It's just so health dependent. Yeah, and I, I was going to present something, at least with the kid scenario. I feel on the surface, if something happens and let's say the first half of the season is a disaster, they have Igor on the bench. So I, I feel Igor, he, he's the immediate replacement for kid. I, I think Cuban probably gives kid at least a year. Yeah. I still think it's the fan. But at least on the surface, they have potential replacement. They have Lucas, one of Lucas' favorite coaches there, like up, aside him. I feel personally they should have still wait Jamal Mosley, but you know, even the Mosley thing, the the Mosley thing was just never going to happen. He was he in and apart from Carlisle sandbagging him, it was sort of well. It, it after the fact, it it people kind of had it out that his playing to 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 Luca's good side was not seen as a long-term healthy benefit with Luca. And it's worth talking about for a second, because I think if Luca's going to go anywhere, like in the short terms, like the next two years, if he's going to take his game to another level, it's because he cracks down, sheds some of his bad, bad habits and comes into, to, to, to the season in better shape. And he needs someone on staff to be able to disagree with him. That that sort of thing is very important, being able to challenge him. It's why I'm so hopeful Goran Dragic becomes a maverick. But Dragic aside, the new coaching staff is all new voices. And I think that's going to matter for Luca in a way. I don't think that Mosley would have been able to get through to him in a positive way long term. Your friend cannot be your boss. It just doesn't ever work out long term. Now, I think Mosley is going to be a very good head coach. I just don't think it would have worked out in the same way because like they were they're friends. Like is 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 he is, are they going to be able to argue with one another in the middle of a game? I don't know. Yeah, and it, it's funny because on the surface of everything you said, you would think Carlisle would be the perfect fit for Luca, but you know, that obviously didn't work out for reasons. I don't know. And with the Porzingis stuff, it seems like there's there was something recently that came out yesterday. It looked like McManus referenced a couple of things about how Porzingis was ready for a fresh start and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And I've got my tin foil hat on here. And a lot of people were advocating, especially that Clipper series, that, oh, well, you know, he was playing hurt. And, you know, a lot of the times defensively where he was just kind of, you know, there, uh, a lot of people were just, protecting this guy so much and i don't get it and i'm under the impression a lot of those times where he was not i feel like he was making a business decision where he just didn't want to put that much effort into anything that's just me like i i i've i feel like i've seen enough basketball where i can identify if someone's loafing or hurt because if Mm -hmm. you're hurt you can really tell and i know everybody's been banging on the table oh he's had a full off season and I, I need to see this like within the first week. I sure. really, if he's just kind of there, I'm, I'm going to be very, very concerned. And I really don't know what like his straight value is at this point, especially if he doesn't hit the uh, gate running and the kids, obviously he's, he's going to have to massage his ego because like you said, he needs to have a come to Jesus conversation with himself. And yeah. dude, you buddy, you're not getting these 30 points a game. And the thing that still concerns me about the starting roster for even with uh, the addition of Reggie Bullock, which is going to offer positives, you're going to have the same problem with Porzingis as your anchor. 
he wants to be the, he like he wants to be the anchor but buddy if you're going to be this anchor you have to play defense and i've not seen you play defense consistently in a very long time yep yep i don't know i'm 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 all sorts of torn about porzingis i just sort of think that having a, there's a physical therapist on twitter who writes for the the silver screen and roll website his his handle is um uh, at three cb performance dr rajpal barar i think is his name and and he covers a lot of stuff from sports angles and he has no reason he's not biased in the way of he's not a Maz fan or doesn't like Maz or anything like that and he just simply told me like look with the acl tear two years ago and a uh a meniscus tear last year Watching this guy, it's very clear he does not trust his body. Whether he realizes he doesn't trust his body is kind of a different deal. But let's think about it from where he ran pick and rolls. Almost every time he did something where he dove to the basket, he did it from the baseline where he had the baseline protecting his backside. I think he was very, very, and I think the Mavericks knew this. Like he was very gun shy about hurting himself again, despite wanting to play. It's like a very like catch 22 thing where so much of his body if he does the things he's capable of doing, it just increases his likelihood that he gets hurt. But it, it and the, but if he doesn't do those things, then he can't really stay on the floor and then he gets mad. And so I agree with you, though. You need to see it early. There were there are instances of of just just and not even on offense. We don't, I don't care about the offense. A lot of people are very focused on his offense, but it's the defense. It's looking like you can't get you, know, you cannot be stuck in, in in concrete. He just needs to be able to move a little bit. I mean, his rim percentage allowed last year was close to 60% and his career was 50. I mean, that's a huge swing. Yeah. And if you go back, I, I offer people to go back and watch some of those Portland games and just drove me bonkers. There was emphasis where he was just sitting there and he would let six, six guards go get their offensive rebound. And that's DeAndre Jordan stuff. And I expect better for him. I, I know, again, I, he's dealing with the injuries. Completely understand that. But I just... Show me a, just a little, like, block out. Just, I'm just asking for the basic, like, give me the bare minimum. That, I don't feel like that's asking too much of him. I don't need you to be this incarnation of Dwight Howard or Shaq. Like, I, I don't, I just need you to just do your job. Like, the very, very, like, bare minimum stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I think, and I think we'll see that because if he does want a fresh start, it's in his best interest to get right. So, so there's, there's a lot of like, um, Sort of mutually assured destruction is the wrong phrase, but there's a lot of like, like everybody might have a different like uh, a goal, but they're all pointed in the same direction. Yeah. And uh, we've got training camp starts next week. Ready? Yes. Oh, Tuesday. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, hopefully, Mass Moneyball have some uh, representation there. Don't know, because they said they were going to be a little tricky about or, you know, kind of be very closed off to to only people who are vaccinated and like half our staff has day jobs and I don't want to make anybody go. So we'll probably at least listen into Zooms and that sort of thing. But I don't know if we'll go because uh, are, are they going to light that up this year? I just like I, at least for training camp. The answer seems to be no. Um, I, I this is an inside baseball thing, but just based off of what it's, I, I doubt they'll ever go back to the kind of coverage that they allowed before. They're just the the teams and players don't want to have to deal with media. So, <sighs> unfortunately, yeah. So, I do you know specifically are they going to allow like kind of like the game? coverage if you request yeah. it okay they aren't yeah i'm pretty sure there's still going to be people at games but it's like no i'm fair i'm positive people are going to be at games it's a matter of where is the like pre and post game and then practice day access that stuff is going to be limited okay that i you know and 
I've, I've spoken to people about why the players don't want to get, you know, harassed right after, you know, taking a beating on the court and losing by 25 and soaking in a towel and having somebody say, Hey, what happened? Like, why did you suck tonight? I really understand that, but I, I do really feel war for all of our media friends out there that are consistently trying to do their job and that limits them a little bit. And I, I think Zoom calls are good and that you're still getting content, but it's just, I feel like you're never going to have those one-on-one conversations again. And that really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that was already trending that way. It's very difficult to do. I mean, the Mavericks and most teams have this problem. Like when it comes to access, there's tons of people around that are video only, like where they go around with their cameras and they, and they get stuff and they don't really ask a lot of questions and there's TV people and those cameras are huge. And then there's also people who are in there that really have no business being in there because they don't want to ask anything like they don't actually produce content. And this is across the NBA where it's, it's just, it's difficult. So they've gotten to this point, you know, going back to like 2008, whenever Cuban cut out Tim McMahon, when he was a blogger for the Dallas morning news, <laughs> said he wasn't a real writer. This is just kind of the, the, the eventual end game where you get a lot of people in there that are half of them are working half of them aren't, And then the players are just tired of it. Um, it's, it's, it's a little disappointing, but for me and the kind of stuff I do, like, I don't really, I don't, I've, I don't really have a lot of interest in talking to players because it's, you end up, you know, you get their side of things, but I also don't want to become like, you know, when you, when you cover somebody personally, you start to have that kind of inherent bias where you don't want to be too critical. And I, you know, that's just easy. I, I don't, I don't ever want to, you know, I don't ever want to do that. Like I, I want to be able to be able to look at basketball and look at players and look at fans and say, this is how I see this from my perspective. Um, I might not be right, but it's not being influenced by a player telling me certain things and me feeling bad about those things. So very true. Well, I, I, it's completely slipped my mind. I know we got to get you out of here, but the Neil Aquina, Neil Aquina signing, Jesus Christ, can't talk today. Very rare, I would say, just uh, on the amount of guards slash wings that they already have on this roster. And uh, the, the one thing that I, I just immediately thought of, if Neil Aquina actually gets minutes and Josh Green is just sitting there collecting dust, once again, Kurt. Yeah. Uh, going back to that draft, that I'm, that's going to just drive me freaking insane. And if I can ask the question, what was the point of the 2020 draft? Because especially when two out of the, you only have two out of the three of those players. Now you have no idea what you really have in two of them. You didn't, you chose not to resign one of them for reasons. I, I, I don't know. I, I saw Tyler Bay in, you know, Vegas. I thought he still looked okay or roster spot or on the G league. I, I don't know. So do you see no Kina actually getting minutes over yes just because the season is long um i think you want to try a bunch of different stuff and injuries are going to happen and there's going to be things i think that dallas fans are a little too excited about him um but that aside i i get why like if you're cho- if you're choosing between watching trey burke play and watching frank nilakina play you're going to choose frank um and so, it, you know, it's such a good dart throw. And if it doesn't work out, I have no, you know, that's fine that it doesn't work out. Um, what the Mavericks are going to be doing for the next two years is really undoing a combination of things that didn't work, whether or not you include Porzingis and that is, is remains to be seen versus things they shouldn't have done at all. Um, like Trey Burke. And and it's, it's just, it's, it's part of the deal. Like team building is difficult and you're not going to get every single thing, right. But knowing what we know now about the level of dysfunction 
you know, between, because Mark Cuban is the ultimate decision maker. And that is a problem in and of itself for a whole nother day. But if you go into understanding that and that he is relying on different people at different times for different, they weren't ever really building anything. They're, they're looking for, you know, the next big thing. And their, their big move was Porzingis two years ago. So all these little things around the edge eventually have to, to pay off for the Mavericks to advance or Luca or Den Porzingis have to take kind of a, a, a substantial step. Yeah. And uh, where I think everybody seems to be on the same page, it's like they got Luca and they got kind of lazy. They were like, oh, we got Luca. And then the problem is, Luke was so good so soon that just like they were not ready for that. They were no. doing a three. They were expecting Luca's year two to happen in like year five. And frankly, so was I. But and this is where I get really bothered where, you know, you get people who are like, well, what would you have done? And like, I don't know. It's not my job. Like, I don't it's, do better is the thing. And, and you know, you, you get this. You know, I'm a Chiefs fan. So I watched what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, where they realized early they had a they realized before he played that they had the next guy. So then everything they've done since then was to build a, a, a team capable of contending around him. And the Mavericks, I think, like with Porzingis, that was their their attempt. And so far, it has had mixed results. I don't want to say it hasn't worked because I don't think that's fair. Because when it works, it's really good. And I wonder how differently we'd be feeling had they played anyone other than the Clippers, you know? Yeah, but to also ask, you know, what do you do in that situation? You do what the Hawks did. Look sure. exactly what they did. Now, they drafted, first and foremost, they actually took the time to draft people. Now, Cam Reddish, yeah, you know, I mean, he's he's an okay player. Uh, you know, Hunter, uh, okay player. I love Hunter. Hunter would be like, that's that's kind of Hunter would be kind of the the ideal backcourt mate for Luca because he's huge and can guard other guys. But your your point being is that they built. Yeah. Whereas the Mavericks don't value the fringes. Their two way players this year are both older than Luca. Like that, it's that's a waste. Yeah. Get young guys develop, do something. The margins matter. The best teams are like like the Spurs, the Raptors, the teams that milk the margins are the teams that hang around the longest, despite not having a super duper star. And and it's something that the Mavericks have to get better at. And I don't know if they ever will, because Mark Cuban is just not patient. He's not. So, yeah. And then you even look at a guy like John Collins. He might not work out, but you know what? That's a tradable asset that he probably shipped down the road. Sure. For somebody else. And well, you have to sign your guys too. That's where your point yeah. earlier about draft picks is so salient because, you know, in order to get to the tax, like we're like, oh, the Mavs won't spend, the Mavs won't spend. You have to have the guys on your roster willing to give those contracts to go over because once you're over the cap, you can't sign more people. Yeah. And the Mavericks just have never been good at that. Maybe one day, one day. But uh, Kirk, as always, buddy, thank you for your time on Friday. It really means a lot. Of course. How can uh, we support you and your work? Uh, don't follow me on Twitter because I tend to make people mad because I like <laughs> games and I like, I react play to play. Um, if you want to come to MavsMoneyBall.com, we're rolling out one to two articles a day, probably more about preview coverage where we're looking at things every way under the sun. Uh, I am a podcast just because Josh ends up taking off. I'm the primary podcast on the Mavs Moneyball feed where we do kind of a variation of podcasts depending on what's going on. And that's really the best way, you know, to, uh, find my stuff. I would like to personally thank Zach and Kirk for joining me. This is the first episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please just feel free to let me know. 
I'm available at Brian's own first and last name. And to quote the great Mick Foley, have a nice day and we'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging around for another episode of Money in the Bank Shot. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Brian, check us out on Twitter at MITBSPod. We'll see you next time.